Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's Gospel reading comes at the end of Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus teaches about the nature of the kingdom and also talks about how forgiveness is to work within the church. This all happens in response to the disciples' question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So today I want to bring out the main themes of the chapter that lead up to today's Gospel reading and what they can teach us about forgiveness in the life of the church. Jesus begins his response by calling a little child to himself and saying that unless the disciples become like little children, they'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. By this, he means that they need to humble themselves like a small child if they want to be the greatest. And he also explains that they, and by implication we also, will be judged according to how we treat the lowly and the humble of this world, as exemplified by a small child. He says that he who receives the lowly and humble in his name receives him but that any who would lead any of these lowly and humble ones into sin would be better off having a millstone tied around their neck and drowned in the sea. Keeping with the theme of being led into sin, Jesus then talks about stumbling stones and how it is necessary that causes for stumbling come, and how terrible it would be for those through whom those causes for stumbling come. In this passage, he is talking about the things that cause us to stumble that may become causes of sin for others. This is where Christ talks about cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye if it causes you to sin. The statements are extreme and are meant to show us the attitude we should have to our own sin. It's better to violently get rid of the things that cause us to fall than to be cast into the eternal fire and even worse, to lead others down the same path. Jesus says all of this to make the point that the lowly and the humble must not be despised or thought of as unimportant. He then goes on to give the parable of the lost sheep and how a good shepherd would leave the 99 to find the one lost and rejoice when it is found. So it is the will of God that no, not one of the lowly, humble or seemingly unimportant, that is unimportant by worldly standards, should perish and that we need to have the same attitude to all of our brothers and sisters in Christ no matter who they are. Nonetheless, stumbling will happen and relationships will be broken and strained. What happens when one of those that God himself does not wish to perish wanders away and somehow sins against another member of the church? Here Jesus gives the pattern of how that restoration is to happen. First, the one who has been sinned against goes alone and talks to the person that has offended them. If they repent, then the lost sheep has been brought back into the fold, so to say. If they do not, then witnesses should be taken along and the issue be discussed with that person again. Now, it may be that the witnesses will not only find fault with the one who has apparently caused offence, but maybe also with the one who was offended. And the restoration may involve repentance from both. But in any case, if the repentance happens, then again, the lost sheep has been brought back into the fold. If there is no repentance, then the issue should be brought to the church. If the person repents, then, of course, they're restored to fellowship, but otherwise they're removed from the assembly so that they can experience what it is like to be without God's grace in the hope that they will return again in repentance. In every case, the aim is restoration of relationship through repentance so that the body of Christ is whole and so that not even the most seemingly unimportant among us should be lost because every single one of us is precious in the sight of God. 
It is after this that Peter asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? It is in response to Peter's question that Jesus gives the parable that we heard today in the gospel reading. We heard that the king wanted to settle accounts with his servant. So he's calling in all the debts that his servants have to him. The servant in the parable owes 10,000 talents. The NIV version of the Bible has that 10,000 talents written as 10,000 bags of gold. Whatever the case, we are to understand that this is an enormous sum of money that he cannot possibly repay. When he begs the king because the king has said that he and his whole family should be sold into slavery to pay the debt, the king has compassion on him and forgives him the entire debt. That's a lot of compassion. In this first part of the parable, we can begin to see the problem this servant has beyond, of course, just being in debt. When he begs the king, he says, be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. This servant has no awareness of how huge a debt he has and is completely disconnected from reality. He cannot possibly repay this money, no matter how long the king gives him to repay it. We see the results of this lack of awareness when he begins to choke his fellow servant and demand the return of 100 silver coins. Compared to the debt that he has been forgiven, this, of course, is a tiny sum. Moreover, when the man begs for more time, the merciless servant has him thrown in prison. It would have made more financial sense to allow him to work the sum off outside than to throw him in a prison where he could only, learn, only earn a very small amount of money. So his treatment of this man is from pure spite because he didn't pay him back. The result of this is that the king hears about it and has him given to the torturers until his evil servant has paid back everything that he owes. Of course, it should be understood that you really don't earn anything being tortured. So this is the end of the merciless servant. We see that a lack of awareness of how huge a debt he has been forgiven led him to being unable to see how trifling the other servant's debt was to him. So Peter's question came from a lack of a clear perspective about how much God has already forgiven him and how many blessings he'd received from God, whether he knew it or not. Now, I guess that 10,000 talents for Peter may have been like maybe $10 billion for me, just an unimaginable sum, even though writing down the numbers is not hard. You know, understanding how much money that is is, is another thing entirely. So Jesus is saying to Peter that if you consider how much you've been forgiven, which is way more than you can think or even conceive, whether you knew it or not, then how can you put a limit on the number of times that you, you should forgive your brother or sister for the relatively small offences that they cause you? So the point is perspective. How do we gain this perspective? The key here is humility, as Jonathan spoke about so well last Sunday with respect to the life of St. John the Forerunner. And as Jesus himself pointed out at the beginning of chapter 18 of Matthew, saying that we must humble ourselves like little children. It is only as we humble ourselves that we gain the proper perspective to see our own broken state, but not only our own broken state, but also to see how far Christ is willing to go to raise us up and heal us. God's love for us is not in half measures. He died on a cross for us. It's all-consuming. Thankfully, life in the church and as Christians in the world gives us many opportunities to develop this humility. Every act of obedience to the church and its practices, prayer, fasting, confession, almsgiving, communion, reading scriptures, attending the liturgy, all of those things, plus 
All of the troubles that God allows us to go through in this life have as one of their aims the opening of our eyes to the reality of God and how great he is and the life that we are called to with him alongside our very own obvious failures to live up to the promise of that life. But as we try to live that life, we will find that we are more able to forgive, more ready to repent, and less attached to those things that will destroy us and those around us. So may God bless us as we continue in the path that he has laid out before us, which will, at the end of our lives, we hope, lead us into his heavenly kingdom. Amen. Rejoice, oh.